You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by The Hartford. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Hartford Small Biz Ahead podcast. My name is Gene Marks. I'm here with my formidable co-host, John Adikonis. John, say hello. Good morning, everyone. I, I like that de- description. Yes, formidable co-host. <laughs> I like that as well. Uh you know, I just actually was was standing by and listening to another great conversation that John had uh, with Carissa, and now I'm back with Carissa as well. It's Carissa Reiniger, who is the founder and CEO of Small Biz Silver Lining. So, Carissa, why don't you say hello? Hello, hello, hello. So nice to be back with you guys. Thank you for having me. Right, and glad to have you on this episode as well. And so, listen, I mean, you know, as as I can imagine, everybody is listening to all of the segments that we've been interviewing you. Um, we 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 will have to at least give our respect to the people that have not uh, listened to anything. So, uh, Carissa, just a, a quick recap of who you are and what you do and what Small Biz Silver Lining is all about. Yeah, happy to share. So Silver Lining started in 2005, a very long time ago, and we have been on a mission to help more small businesses succeed since then. Our core business is we have a program called SLAP, which is a Silver Lining Action Plan, and it's based in behavior change science. So we help small business owners build really strategic, but really direct action-oriented plans to grow their business. And then for the next year, we give them all of the strategy, accountability, training, structure, support that behavior change science says that they need in order to actually implement that plan and succeed. In addition to that, we run a global movement called Thank You Small Business, which is all about acknowledging and celebrating and supporting small businesses, which the Hartford has been a great, great, great partner in. And we do a lot of work around economic justice, really advocating for access and equality for diverse and traditionally underserved small businesses. So that's uh, that's what we do. That is fantastic. And, you know, it makes me laugh because you and I have been dealing with small businesses for a long time. You started in 2005. Uh-huh. I started I started in 94. That's just dating. Wow. I know. And and I have to admit that if if, considering all the business owners and all of my clients I've dealt with, if I were going to start a program, I would probably call it SLAP as well. Um, (laughs) I I don't even know what it stands for, but I don't care because that's sometimes the way I feel depending on how I deal with some of our clients. But uh, listen, this this segment, um, we're going to talk about sales, which is near and dear to my heart. So you know, Carissa, as we talked about earlier before, I mean, um, I want you to view me as as a client of yours right now. I am a uh, you know I'm a business owner. I own I have ten employees in my company. I've got about a dozen contractors. Uh, we have about six hundred clients. We sell. Uh, I'm a CBA, so we sell financial services, technology services as well. And like any business owner, I want more clients. So mm-hmm. I'm in charge of selling for my business, which is a pretty common role for the principal of a business to have. So I have some specific questions for you because I know this is the kind of thing that you advise your customers on. And I hope that these uh, these questions I'm about to ask you are ones that other business owners are also interested to hear. So here's the first question. We're emerging from the pandemic as we speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're having this conversation at the end of April uh, so, you know, things are, are definitely brightening up. The economy is growing. So, you know, looking back now in your, tell me a little bit, how has selling changed since 2019? Hmm. That's interesting. That, that's, I mean, we could talk for 10 hours about that probably. 
I think, listen, I think there's the obvious and then there's sort of the psychology, less obvious things that are happening. I mean, number one on the obvious category is that being digital is obviously required. Um, So being able to have your customers find you online, buy from you online, the shift from people coming to you and you needing to go to them is significant. So I think delivery and, um, you know, delivery in every way, right? How you deliver your products or your services. Maybe before you used to travel to a conference, now it has to be on Zoom. Maybe before people came to your restaurant, now more people are doing takeout. Maybe before people shopped in your store, now more people require you to ship your, you know, your products. Um, so certainly the way that, that uh, people find us has changed. I think the way that uh, we need to deliver our work has changed dramatically. And then I think at a, at a more philosophical level, two or three of the things that I've seen really, really sort of strongly are one, authenticity really matters. I think that after, you know, after 2020, not just the health crisis, but also the you know, the racial reckoning that was far overdue and many of the other things that happened in 2020, people are tired and people are not interested in marketing messages. People are really looking for authenticity. And so the businesses that we work with, certainly the ones that have sort of tried to be clever versus being really real, they, the clever ones have done less well than the very real ones, which I think is really good, actually. I think that's a good shift. Connected to that, because I think that we, we, we've come out of an era, and I hope we stay out of it, where sort of flashy was important and really polished was important. And I think we're in a new era where accessibility is really important. So, you know, being able to see the business owner on an Instagram live without their makeup on, you know, in their kitchen, talking about something about their business, that's becoming more compelling from a sales point of view and a connection point of view. Uh, than having, you know, the $25,000 flashy animated website. So we're, I think there's a significant shift in um, what customers are looking for and, and how quickly and easily they can access someone to buy from them, but also the things that they're connecting to from a brand point of view. Do you think that identity has become more important in the selling process now? And, and as an example, I see some people that are female entrepreneurs and business owners, they say straight out, hey, I'm a female-owned business. You know, that's a connection you want to make mm. with me, right? Then again, I, I see other female entrepreneurs that say the exact opposite. They're like, listen, it doesn't make a difference. I'm a female-owned business. My business is, mm. you know, even better for you, you know? Um, we have some of my clients that are identifying, you know, racially, they're identifying politically, they're identifying from their area, you know? And when you do that, um, you create you know, potential sales and relationships with people that identify with you, but then you're also creating the risk that you're going to lose customers that don't identify with what you identify with. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. What are, your, what are your thoughts on identity, identity and sales in 2021? Mm. Gene, you are not making this easy. That is a, <laughs> that is a complicated question. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, I think, I hope. Let me instead of let me instead of me saying I think. Let me say I hope. I hope I'm that you. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm going to interrupt you to help you with this question, also to make it a little bit easier. You're a female-owned business owner, so and you're looking for clients like anybody else. So, identify as a female-owned business owner. Do you think that's important to you? Do you think that's important for uh, other people to use that as a as a potential help in their sales process? Yeah. I don't. And in yeah. fact, and in fact, the opposite. But again, this is this is me speaking from a very personal experience. I 
you know, I was 22 when I started my company. I was really young. Um, and I had all sorts of ridiculousness happen to me as a result of that. You know, I am blonde. I looked more like a cheerleader 15 years ago than I do now. Um, and you know, the, the comments and the things that people said and the assumptions, you know, the number of people asked me if my dad owned my business or, you know, how impressive that for a woman, I had started this business at such a young age, you know, basically insinuating that if a man my age had done it, that would, you know, just be obvious because they're a man. So I actually got so sick of the identity stuff around me being a woman, both the, both the sexual innuendo, the assumption that I was somehow less capable than a man, you know, all of the things that women often face that I actually really felt strongly that we needed to get to a point in the business world where everyone was created equally and treated equally. Um, and that that required not being segmented. And so I actually, I was the president of an organization when I lived in Canada called Women Entrepreneurs of Canada. Uh, and I advocated really hard to actually have men join the board because I felt very strongly that if we as women wanted equality, then we couldn't do that alone. By nature of wanting equality, we needed everyone at the table. We needed men to support women being equal as much as women were advocating for being treated equal. So I say, I say that to say that that's my personal journey. What I also think is true, though, is that there are, there are segments of the entrepreneurial community and, you know, and obviously humans at, you know, writ large. So we can look at the example of Black business owners, Black entrepreneurs. They have been so, you know, damaged by systemic injustice and held back in so many significant ways. And all the stats show that to be true, mm -hmm. that for there to be a moment in time where there is a strong advocacy and people are proud to say, I'm a black business owner and, you know, I'm going to buy from black businesses. I actually think that's great. I think, you know, I support that entirely because when there are segments of the population who have been so disadvantaged for so long, we do have to do extra work to get them to the table, to make sure that there is the beginnings, the breakings open of equality. And so I actually really support identity-based identification and, and having that be part of the business message. And I am inspired by it and I try to buy from people, you know, who are, who are advocating for themselves in that way. And I think we all need to be at the table together. And so the ideal utopia, which we're nowhere near, is that that wouldn't be necessary, but we're not there. And so... Here it's we a great are. answer. It's a great answer. So, okay. So, um, besides identity, how about how about the social warrior entrepreneurs and business owners? And I'll give you another example. There is a a restaurant near me. Uh, it's a it's a vegetarian restaurant. It's popular. It's really good. And they issued a press release recently saying that they are going to be paying their hourly employees fifteen dollars an hour, and um, which I think is great. You know, I mean that's fine. But I did think to myself, like, geez, you know. Okay, if you're gonna pay them fifteen dollars now, because that's obviously a, a social issue right now, minimum wage. Do you have to advertise that? In other words, like you know, they clear, you know, you know, good for you that you're paying your workers that amount of money, but it's almost as if they were using it as like a, a PR thing. You know what I mean? And because they're using it as a PR thing, they're trying to generate more sales. So this is a conversation about sales in 2021. Do you think it's valuable? Do you recommend to your clients uh, that if they want to increase their sales, that, um, that that they do leverage social issues that they feel hmm. are important? Or do you tell them to just stay out of it uh, because there might be more uh, costs instead of benefits? What are your thoughts on that? It's a very, again, tricky question. You're really giving it to me today, Jean. Um, I, so I think two things. I think that 
those types of decisions should be made at a like at a moral level, not a sales level. So I think that if you have raised your minimum wage because you are convicted that that is the right thing to do, that's the role you want to play as an employer. You want to pay, you know, what you be what you believe is a fair minimum wage. That's the reason to do that. And then if you want to talk about it because it comes from an authentic place, because it is what your moral stance is, it does matter to you. You want other restaurateurs to maybe do the same. You want to create social change. You want to lead by example, then go for it. The risk of that, of course, I mean, I'm quite outspoken about my social views and I, and I do talk about them and I do lead silver lining in a very specific way. Um, and the benefit of that is that people who align with my views, you know, believe in us even more. And the people who don't align with my views find me difficult. And so, you know, that you're, you're, but I am, I am okay with that because I'm not doing what I'm doing to drive sales. I'm doing what I'm doing because I think it's my responsibility as a business owner and a citizen to operate the way I'm operating. And so if it, if it alienates some people, that's okay with me. So, and I can give you an example of that in a second. I think that if you're doing it for the press release, if you're, if you think to yourself, oh, okay, if I, if I raise my minimum wage, I'll be able to do a press release and then I can do these three things. And that will probably get these, you know, 20% of the population to come do business with me. A, it's going to ring inauthentic going back to what we talked about earlier and B, like you're, then you actually are running the risk of alienating people and that, that that might actually not be a solid sales strategy. So I think from a social issue point of view, I do think that business owners have a significant role to play in justice. I do think that business is actually one of the most powerful forces for justice. And so I think there's a really compelling opportunity for business owners right now to create a better world. But I think that that has to come from a different place than thinking about sales. I think we need to write, you know, write beside our morals. We need solid sales strategies. Sure. But I don't know that I would connect them so directly to each other. Great. It's great advice. It's great advice. Okay. So, Carissa, I am hiring a salesperson sometime in the next few weeks. So I've just begun the process. Um, again, you're my, you're my advisor here. What, what should I be looking for in a good salesperson? Mm, great question. So hiring salespeople has got to be one of the worst things on the planet to do. It's so hard to kick the salespeople. I don't know why. It's confusing to me that it's so hard, but every business owner I know, you know, has struggled to find a good website builder and a good salesperson. Those are like the two big things. For me, there's, there's probably four things. Number one, that they've worked in a small business before. I think that we assume that if someone's gone and worked in a big business, then somehow they're going to be fancier or better. But culture is so different. You know, if you're coming from a sales team of 500 and you're one of 500, your skill set, your work ethic, your point of view is going to be entirely different than if one of your last jobs was with a sales team of three and, you know, you had to do everything. So uh, the myth that if they come from a big company, they're better, I think needs to be, you know, you know, shot down. So have they worked in another small business? That's crucial. Number two, you know, have they hit sales goals before? Um, I ask our salespeople very literal and direct questions. You know, what were your sales targets the last three years in a row? And what was the exact amount of money that you sold? I mean, to what degree did you miss, hit, or exceed your sales targets? And tell me why. Give me specifics. And if they can't answer, I mean, a good salesperson knows exactly what their sales targets are, right? And they know exactly, they know exactly if they've hit them or not. And so if there's any vagueness or a little back and forth or a little weirdness, you know that there's something going on there. So that's number two. Number three is just demeanor and personality. I mean, when you're a small business, if you've got one salesperson or two or three, it's going to be a small team. 
they're your voice. They're as important as your website. They're as important as your marketing materials. They in fact are, you know, your marketing materials. And so do they represent your brand? Do they, are you proud of how they communicate, how they present themselves? I mean, they're literally representing you. That's a really, really crucial thing if you're a small business owner and you're a small, small, small sales team. Um, And then I think number three is just, are they willing to, you know, own some of the risk? As a small business, you can afford to spend huge amounts on salaries and then have that person not perform. So I'm a really big believer in a fair-based pay um, and then lots of motivation around performance-based pay. So, you know, and if they don't believe in their sales skills, they won't want to do a deal like that. But if they do, they'll be excited about it. So you're saying um, if, if I'm going to hire somebody, I mean, the, the best way to do it or what you would recommend is that I do have a base salary and then some type of a commission structure above that. That's really common with salespeople, right? Um, my problem in the past has been salespeople that just don't perform up to my expectations, you know? Mm. A lot of business owners mm-hmm. have that problem. And like, like every business owner of all time, I'm with right. you on that 100%. Right. Yeah. If a salesperson performs super well, the, the chance are that salesperson is going to leave me anyway and open up their own business or sell on their I own. Totally. I totally, I know. Right, because as a small business owner, you kind of attract people that are, uh, they're they're not small business owners. Maybe they're not. They just hit like this certain plateau, and it drives me nuts. And I know it drives a lot of my clients nuts. Like, how do I motivate them to sell more? And you would think like, because so many people that run their own businesses are profit driven, you would think like, hey man, you know, I'm offering you a ten percent commission. I mean, you would think you'd be out there trying to sell more so you can make more money. And so a lot of people in this world are just like, yeah, yeah, I'm making enough. I'm good. You know, I've got Netflix, and I'm gonna hang out this weekend and ride my bike, and it's good. So how, what advice do you have for me or to your clients to try and motivate salespeople to, to sell more? What can they do? Mm. And, and, you know, do you, do you ever recommend that, you know, we just cut people loose if they're just not performing? Well, definitely. I mean, this is like age old, this is not my own wording, but you know, hire slow, fire fast. I definitely, definitely think that, you know, with a salesperson, it's pretty obvious, right? Are they performing or not? I mean, it's pretty black and white. I mean, obviously you need to know what your sales cycle is and give people enough time to, you know, certainly you need to have reason within that. But with sales, I mean, that's one of the most clear cut. They're doing it or they're not. I mean, there's not a lot of room for gray in sales. So I definitely think we've got to get rid of underperformers. I just think that if they're not, if they're not motivated to, you know, go for it and they're not showing any signs of changing, you can, you can teach skills, but you can't teach hustle. Someone either has it or they don't. Um, and I think that, you know, you see that pretty quickly. So we actually, whenever we're hiring for a sales role, we hire three people. We put them all through training and we assume that we'll have one of them three months later. So every time we need one, we hire three because we are planning for the fact that, you know, two that did great in the interview will not do great in real life. We we're actually very formulaic around expecting people to not make it and, you know, needing to fire basically two thirds of the people we hire in terms of motivating them. There, I'd say there's two things that I've learned. One is people, you know, and again, this is not necessarily new news, but people are much more motivated by a cause than a product. So, you know, at Silver Lining, we're a SaaS company. We have a you know subscription based business, small business growth program that's not about, you know, like to come to work every day and be like, I sell a SaaS, a SaaS small business growth program. I mean, I, that is so boring. Who would be motivated? I mean, I'm not even motivated by that. I could care less about a SaaS small business program, but 
that SaaS small business program helps small businesses, you know, accomplish their goals and make more money doing what they love. And when we can, you know, when they use it, we can serve them and we can support them and we can cheer for them and we can rally around them. And every small business that, you know, we get to work with becomes another person in our global network that gets connected to this incredible community that we have, like that I can sell, that I can sell all day long. So I, I spend a lot of time, you know, really focused on what is the message and the cause of what we're selling, not the product. And I, and we do basic product training, but we do a lot more around mission and cause and big picture and who the customers are and how we can help them. And that is, that is very motivating. And then the other thing, which is not fun to hear, and no one wants to do this, including myself, it takes a lot of management, daily huddles, you know, weekly reviews of the sales goals, meetings to say, okay, well, what went well and what didn't, and how can we, how can we role play this out and come up with a different way to approach it? And, um, you know, I think for a lot of business owners, myself included, we're busy. Uh, we know our business inside and out. So it seems so obvious to us, but for other people, they need management, they need support. And so uh, whether it's you or somebody else in your business, I, I think a significant part of keeping a sales team motivated is actually giving them enough time uh, and structure to help them succeed. So you mentioned earlier about, um, listen, you know, whether a salesperson is succeeding is black and white. They're either selling or they're not. And, uh, and you're also talking about, you know, how important it is to supervise and, and manage these salespeople. So what what metrics do you recommend, Carissa, for a business owner to to target? It's not because there the, yes, there is completing a sale, that's fine, but there's a lot of other metrics that lead up to a sale that can give a lot of insight as to whether or not um, a salesperson is performing or are going to run into any problems. I mean, some companies very have, much so, right? You make a number of calls, and that's going to generate a number of appointments and number of visits and number, you know value of quotes that are set up and what your close ratio is and what your appointment ratio is. What you know when you're talking to your clients, what what are some key sales metrics that that you advise you know that they should have? So again, this is like kind of sales one hundred and one, but if you think about, we call it you know a sales funnel. So you know, a sale doesn't just magically happen. Um, you know, there's steps to that sale. So the metrics that we always look at are, you know, what are the, what are all of the steps to the sale? And then what are the conversion rates that we need to, you know, realistically expect at each of those steps? So for example, if you're doing just pure cold call, right? Like hardcore sales, mm -hmm. how many calls do you have to make in order to get, you know, a certain percentage to actually pick up the phone in order to then get a certain percentage of those to actually stay on the phone and not hang up on you? to then get a certain percentage of those to agree to a follow-up call, to then get a certain percentage of those to review the materials, to then get a certain percentage of those to actually purchase. And so when we look at our sales performance and each of the people that are on our sales team, we're looking at each of those metrics and we're looking at two things. We're obviously looking at volume. How many people did they call? How many people you know, picked up? How many people um, you know, didn't hang up? But we're also looking at those conversion rates because if we start to see, for example, that 94% uh, of rep one, let's call it salesperson one's people hang up on them, mm. but only 23% of salesperson two's people hang up on them. Well, I want to know what salesperson two was saying on the phone that's resulting in so few people hanging up on them. And I want to know why, you know, number, number one might say to me, but Krissa, you know, I've made 10,000 calls. What do you want from me? Right. You know, but something's happening at that moment that's then cutting off the funnel. 
So we're looking at every single step that leads to the sale. We're looking at volume numbers, but we're also looking at conversion rates for each of those steps. And that gives this very clear view of, of really what's going on. That's great. You know, we only have a couple of minutes left, Carissa. We started this conversation about, uh, you know, emerging from the pandemic and what's changed since 2019. Um, obviously, and you had mentioned, you know, about digital commerce and, uh, you know, and, and you know, just your know, virtual tools. I mean, technology has been a huge, you know, a huge part of, of you know, a, you know, a business owner's life now. And sometimes I feel like, um, uh, you know, like, like we're losing that personal touch, you know? I mean, I know. Mm. Like, I close more deals when I talk to somebody on the phone and I close even more deals when I literally am face to face from a prospect, you know, totally. but, but the technology has taken some of that away. Number one, it's made, it's made me more lazy, you know, well, I'll just send an email or do like a zoom call or whatever. Um, and number two, I know it's also created particularly with, I think younger prospects, like please, don't call me, don't bother me, just send me an email. You know, it's taking that personal touch away. What do you think has been the, you know, the impact of technology on, on the sales process? And, and what is your advice for business owners for sort of balancing technology and personal connections? Oh, such a good question. I think, you know, our whole Thank You Small Business movement is all about reinstilling a sense of pride in being a small business owner. And I always say to our businesses, if you're trying to compete with the big brands who've got, you know, quadruple bajillion dollar marketing budgets and, yeah. you know, they can outbuy you on SEO and they can outrank you in everything you try. Like you are definitely going to fail. But where small businesses will always win is that human touch, being authentic, being you, showing up when something goes wrong, you know, being, being, having your heart and soul out there for everyone to see. That is what makes small business so special. I mean, that's just why I think small business is big and the best. And, you know, the people that we should be paying attention to, small business owners are not small and tiny and crappy. Small business owners are building businesses that have human connection, that can be connected to their customers in a way that is really special and that our communities and our economy need. So, you know, it's, it's a long and fascinating topic that we could spend, again, hours on. But mm -hmm. the short answer is, I mean, absolutely crucial that we can use technology for automation and efficiency, but we can never give up our human touch as business owners. That's the, that's the magic. That's the sauce. That's the thing that keeps people coming back. And so I may, you know, I turn my company, I mean, we're a SaaS company. We obviously have a ton of technology in our business, but we use technology to make automation and sorry, to make our human connections more efficient. And we, so we haven't used technology to replace our humanity. We've used technology to actually allow us to increase our humanity because it's more efficient, more organized, more things are automated. So I'm a huge believer in technology and using it to automate and make efficient all the things that a small business owner should not be spending their time on. But there's a lot of human things that technology will never be able to replace. That, that, that is absolutely where our time should go. Carissa Reiniger is the founder and CEO of Small Biz Silver Lining. Carissa, uh, give me your website again. Just smallbizsilverlining.com. Fantastic. Hey, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for spending the time with both myself and my formidable co-host, John, <laughs> who is also still there and hanging out in the background. Great conversations. John, I don't know if you have anything to add before I take things out of here. 
No, just I think that was a really great um, session. And Krista, thanks so much for spending the time with us today. Yeah, really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. So happy to be here. That was that was just great. Uh, for everybody listening, if you are interested in more advice and tips and help in running your small business, please visit the Hartford Small Biz Ahead. That's smallbizahead.com or sba.thehartford.com. My name is Gene Marks. On behalf of my host, uh, co-host, Jonathan Adekronis, thanks very much for joining us, and we will see you next time.